Dennis Stewart, uh, you've talked quite a lot about natural ways of lowering, lowering cholesterol and today you'd like to return to that subject. I would, Jane, because it's one of those things that keeps cropping up in discussion and it's frequently one of those things that I am um, obliged to help many of my patients and clients with. And I thought as we come to the end of the year, it would be good to talk about some of those recommendations and put them perhaps in a little uh, self-management plan for those that are seeking to stop their cholesterol level reaching the point where it would need medical intervention. But cholesterol, Dennis Stewart, it's such a... Well, it has become such a problem for a lot of people. It is a problem, Jane, and and listeners probably know that I tend to have a very sceptical attitude towards uh, what I consider to be um, a cholesterol overemphasis. Now, I know that's very... Uh, controversial and there are many uh, medicos perhaps out there that will take issue with that. I do believe that cholesterol is a problem but I believe that the way we have turned it into a condition that requires the prescribing of strong medication I perhaps uh, feel that it's gone a bit too far in that direction Mm -hmm. and what I've always argued is that where there is uh, a problem with cholesterol and particularly prior to Uh, seeing it being treated by the big guns of cholesterol management, softer options should be given a chance to see if uh, declared cholesterol problems, say moderately elevated cholesterol levels, can in fact uh, be controlled and brought down by using a non-drug approach. And I think that's a reasonable aspiration. And for many, many years, I pride myself on the fact that I've been able to help many people clinically by information, by this program, other programs, in doing something that has proven to be so successful that it has lessened their need to drift towards the big guns, particularly the statins, which are the major medications prescribed for cholesterol management. Now, I'm not suggesting today in any way at all that people that have been prescribed statins who are under the management of their medicos should retreat from those without They're being monitored by their medical practitioner and have the approval of their medical people. But there is a little uh, program that I've looked at, and and I thought a lot about it during the week. As we come to the end of the year, cholesterol is something that keeps cropping up, and I felt we've touched on it frequently. How can I summarise some of the self-help things that one can do to stop the drift of cholesterol upwards to a level where it is considered to be medically problematical. The first thing, I, and I'll go through these points in five points, and I'll say them initially rather quickly, and then, if we have a chance, elaborate on each one of them. First thing is look at diet. Now, in the past, we used to veer away from foods that had saturated fats in them. I think a lot of what Ansel Keys said years ago about the problems of saturated fats has been questioned and many would see it as requiring debunking. And therefore, a lot of the rigid, non-fat approaches to diet are not as popular today as they were. Uh, Nevertheless, it is arguable that a diet that incorporates a greater degree of emphasis on fruits, grains and vegetables can be shown to have a useful role in helping to keep one's cholesterol level under better control. It's interesting that when one looks at certain populations of people, uh, those people, for instance, that are not big uh, traditional, uh, uh, how can you call it, saturated fat eaters, a lot of people that aren't heavy red meat eaters, uh, people that veer towards, if you like, 
the Mediterranean diet with its emphasis on fish and fibre and fruits and vegetables, that they seem to have, through that dietary emphasis, some degree of improvement in their cholesterol levels. So what we said during the year, and as the year races to an end, we might remind listeners that we have mentioned frequently on the program the Mediterranean diet, which is a diet that downplays some of the traditional emphases in the Anglo diet, plays down things like uh, red meat. Not that I'm opposed to it, I like red meat, but in proportion. Plays down a lot of the foods that are behind our Anglo diet and emphasises the characteristic foods of the Mediterranean. Fish, fruits and vegetables, olives, olive oils. Those sorts of uh, foods can contribute, arguably, to cholesterol reduction. Now, outside of that, and I'll say it quickly, the second point is, apart from a dietary modification, which in my opinion should go towards the Mediterranean diet, plenty of info on the net, soluble fibre. How many times have we mentioned soluble fibre on the program and its incredible benefits? And in a textbook called Handbook of Herbs, Supplements and Their Therapeutic Uses, a Mosby publication edited by two well-known American medical practitioners and specialists on complementary medicine, soluble fibre was given a plus four recommendation, which is the highest that can be given in Mosby's text for any substance that makes therapeutic claims. A plus four grading for soluble fibre puts soluble fibre right up there, even perhaps in front of diet, as being one of the most useful and proven ways of helping to control cholesterol and perhaps even reverse it. And by soluble fibre, let's think about what we're talking about quickly. We're talking about things like opran. We're talking about things like psyllium husks. We're talking about foods like slippery elm. Soluble fibre, which as it passes through the gut, functions almost as a magnet and precipitates a, a resolving of cholesterol via binding to cholesterol in the gut and exiting it from the body. If listeners are not using soluble fibre in their diet, in my opinion, they're missing one of the great possibilities of intestinal health and also one of the great possibilities of helping maintain their healthy cholesterol levels and stop it moving upwards. We're talking about cholesterol and natural ways of um, keeping it low, not allowing Mm, it mm. to get the upper hand of our health. I think Uh, this is the point that we need to emphasise what we're looking at, and I reiterate it, is um, the way in which simple things that we can do can keep our cholesterol level to that point we're being monitored by our doctors, it doesn't require us to be prescribed uh, medications that are strong, sometimes necessary, but frequently can be bypassed by self-help things. And so far today, we've looked at the way in which um, some degree of change in diet is useful. I've already said that the emphases years ago on uh, getting rid of saturated fats from the diet that is now being downplayed considerably. Those things are not being seen in the same light that they were in the days of Ansel Keys that developed that whole thing. But having said that, we argued that a movement towards what we call the Mediterranean diet, which de-emphasises a lot of Anglo foods that we know of as, as Anglo-Celtics in this town in particular, a Mediterranean diet does have some potential for reducing it. And we've also seen, and this is quite outstanding, Uh, Not surprising, uh, but certainly not overemphasising 
the role of what we've mentioned so frequently on the program, and that is soluble fibre. And I emphasised before the break that if listeners are not using soluble fibre on a day-to-day basis as part of their eating routine, in my opinion, they're missing out on a very, very valuable dietary component which has a very high rating in the text that I mentioned earlier, a plus four rating, that means it has sustained clinical trials in being able to demonstrate a useful uh, reducing effect on cholesterol within the diet, soluble fibre, things that I've mentioned. Uh, Oat brand particularly is one of them in its various products, and there are numerous ones on our shelves. Uh, Psyllium, which is out there in numerous products, Metamucil being an example, Uh, Slippery Elm being a classic example. These sorts of substances are all known as soluble fibres, and I've tried very simply to say they function basically as a mop in the gastrointestinal tract sopping up, if you like, or functioning as a magnet towards cholesterol precursors and getting them out of the system. The other thing about soluble fibre, Jane, we should mention that soluble fibre is increasingly implicated as being useful, not only for cholesterol control, but also in helping maintain stable blood sugar levels. That's a very important thing because the combination of of high cholesterol uh, and and, uh, wedded to high sugar levels is a very, very problematical condition indeed. Um, And doctors worry about that and frequently will prescribe statins. Here we're saying that the inclusion of soluble fibre can make a significant impact when taken daily as a medicine, if you like, in order to contribute to helping maintain good blood sugar levels and also to promote some degree of improvement in one's cholesterol profile. Now, more and more, we're becoming aware of Mm. just what a lot of sugar can do for us, and it's not good. It is not. In fact, I I mentioned on this program uh, on numerous occasions books that have been written um, that go back to Professor Yudkin's book written in the 1950s, uh, Pure, White and Deadly, and, um, and other more recent books that demonstrate that the overemphasis of sugar in our food chain is frightening and is is arguably behind even some of the um, cholesterol problems. There's been a connection there, and uh, everything we say should be prefaced on the fact that we should be arguing strongly for a better control of sugar in the diet, and one would be astonished, astonished if one were to see the amount of sugar in certain products that we regularly consume. It's frightening. I'll not elaborate. Most listeners uh, are probably aware of it, but are probably not aware of the degree in which sugar now has become such an overemphasized component in our diet. That's my opinion, that in many ways we need to look at it as being a major factor contributing towards civilizational diseases about which we're talking. Mm -hmm. In a moment, we'll talk about phytosterols as a third way, a simple third way of helping to promote cholesterol management and better cholesterol levels. At the moment, we are talking about uh, uh, things for combating cholesterol and, Dennis Stewart, phytosterols. Yes. Now, phytosterols, we've already touched on those during the year uh, and uh, have looked at some of their characteristics. But as part of this five-point program that I'm bringing before listeners this morning, let me just say that phytosterols are substances that are even now being placed In the food chain, certain margarines, for instance, contain these substances. 
uh, because they have been shown to be useful also in helping to maintain healthy cholesterol levels and indeed perhaps uh, even reduce uh, cholesterol elevation. Phytosterols are plant-based substances, that's the technical name for them, and are available both in supplement form and increasingly in food products that I've mentioned. Now, what do phytosterols do? Well, as the third member of recommendations, phytosterols work, and we put it in simple lay language, phytosterols work by inhibiting the reabsorption of cholesterol as it passes through the gut. In other words, it lessens uh, cholesterol's potential to elevate by getting rid of cholesterol in the bowel before it is reabsorbed and put back into the circulation. So it functions in a different way to soluble fibre, but the end result is here is another natural plant-based substance occurring in products frequently in the supermarket uh, which have been put forward as being potential agents for helping to control cholesterol level and reduce it. You can take it as a supplement, and there are numerous supplements in our health food stores and pharmacies that contain what are called phytosterols. But where possible, where possible, seek to get it in food products from retail outlets particularly that boast about having a significant proportion of these substances contained in the pack. So phytosterols, another simple thing, together with soluble fibre, which is a simple and inexpensive thing, together with dietary modification in the direction of the Mediterranean diet, there are three distinct ways, three distinct contributions that one can make towards controlling cholesterol elevation or reducing moderately elevated cholesterol and lessening perhaps the need towards the drift to strong medications such as the statins. Now we've got two more points to go we in have indeed. five point we, plan. We, we have indeed, and I, I'm, I'm going to talk about a herb that we haven't mentioned a lot, but which um, I find quite exciting when you say, well, every herb you talk about is quite exciting. Well, yes, of course it is, but I'll talk about one that listeners wouldn't have heard too much about, but has an incredible, inexpensive possibility when used as a simple herbal tea, to do as much as some of the other things that we've spoken about in helping to reduce or control cholesterol levels. Now, Dennis, we might just pause for a moment. And uh, Ray has rung in from Lambton but couldn't stay on the phone. So we've got his question anyway. He's wondering if you could recommend anything for osteoporosis. Ray, osteoporosis is, is obviously a medical condition. You've been diagnosed with the condition, have you? He's not on the phone. Oh, okay. He's, we've just Look, got his question. In, in my opinion, where there is a diagnosed osteoporotic condition, the best way of managing it is to utilise some of the medications that are prescribed these days uh, to promote uh, better bone integrity and, and lessen uh, the, the loss of, 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 of bony integrity. Only a doctor can prescribe those. And some people uh, say, look, they're very controversial. There's a downside to it. Uh, there perhaps is. But as I say to many uh, patients and clients that raise this issue with me about osteoporosis, look, 
There is frequently a downside to prescribed medication, but in the case of osteoporosis, the newer medications prescribed by the medical profession seem to give very, very good results. So I would say to Ray, be guided by your GP in this direction. Obviously make sure that your intake of calcium is adequate, which, by the way, it mainly is. And pumping oneself up with additional levels of calcium is not the way to overcome osteoporosis where it has been medically diagnosed. It might be a useful thing to do uh, from a dietary perspective, but it's not always the way to contribute to the resolution of osteoporosis. Uh, The other thing about it is this is an area where uh, a discreet or even an arranged uh, meeting with a, a qualified dietitian would be useful to look at some of the foods that can reinforce a healthy bone structure And the third thing is, and this needs to be discussed uh, with your GP or an exercise physiologist, um, good uh, bone-strengthening exercises uh, also contribute to bone health. I would go down that pathway, Ray, if your doctor has diagnosed that condition, follow his recommendations. If it requires medication, obviously it's serious enough to warrant it. And if you are an elderly person, osteoporosis can be a problem because if you have a fall you're in big trouble and you're much better off therefore to go down the pathway of medical medication uh, reinforced by adequate uh, dietary advice that may involve uh, calcium supplementation and discuss with your GP the role of exercise and perhaps a recommendation to an exercise physiologist in order to promote better bone strength. Grover's disease and that's kind of itch Robin. Yes, it's a, a rash with a very itchy. Yes, very it's, itchy. A, it's a, a stubborn condition, Robert, as you've probably found out. And um, yes. it is characterised by, by a, a severe itch, which in many cases can nearly drive people mad. Um, yes, yes. How long have you had it for, Robin? Oh, for quite some weeks before. Only, yes. only for some Actually, weeks? Yeah, a couple of months. Okay. Actually, a couple of months. Now, yes. your, your doctor has diagnosed it as Grover's? Yes, he has. He did a blood test and he did a um, a biopsy. Oh, that's good. That's good that's management. That's good management. Yeah. And have you been prescribed anything for it to this point? Only um, some tablets to sleep overnight. Okay. So uh, that I'm like an, anti- and, like and an anti- a, antihistamine type thing you've been prescribed, yes. have you? And, um, and, yes, and, and, and a cortisone cream. Okay. Uh, is that helping? Oh, a little bit, but okay. uh, Look, not... It's it's anyone that thinks this is easy to, to manage, I would take issue with, and natural medicine may be able to make a contribution, um, but let me say it is a very stubborn condition. But one of the things that might be useful to take on board is that the combination, the combination of menthol and pine tar. Yeah. Have, have you written those down? Menthol yeah. and pine tar. They are frequently substances that come together in lotion form and give very significant relief and your yeah. ph- your pharmacist would stock uh, one of those products um, Hamilton's is a good brand but there would be others as well Hamilton's, uh-huh. P- Hamilton's pine tar and menthol now I have used that myself um, in, in recent times I've had a little bit of peripheral dermatitis and I have found that preparation quite useful in order to cope with the itch yeah. component of it. The good thing about it is it's not messy and it can be applied uh, in large areas 
And the good thing about it is it doesn't require a script. And it, no, in, in my opinion, it is inexpensive. So that would be certainly one of the things that, um, that I would recommend that you, um, you, you try. The, now, the other thing is, and this might sound rather simplistic, but the uh, good old lotions based on, on zinc, calamine okay. lotion being one in particular, still has a role to play to some degree in managing these sorts of conditions. It is not as powerful and perhaps as effective as the steroid cream that your doctor has prescribed or even what I have prescribed, but it is still a useful uh, preparation to use, particularly, say, during the day or where the condition is not as noticeably itchy as what it is at other times of the day, particularly night. So I would, yeah. thro I would throw in those two preparations as agents that could be useful, uh, inexpensive, and may give you some degree of relief that would lessen your need to use the steroid application. Yes. Okay, thank you so much. That's Dennis Stewart, you wanted to add something else. Yes, I did. I want to just go back to itch. Robin's question about something to use topically, and I did mention a calamine lotion. Uh, there is a particular calamine lotion known as Pusies, P-U-S-E-Y-S, Pusies calamine lotion, or sometimes referred to as Pusies calamine liniment. Now, it is different to ordinary calamine lotion in as much that it contains a constituent, a very, very small percentage of phenol, which makes it a very, very useful thing when prescribed by and dispensed by a pharmacist for getting the calamine lotion uh, anti-itch effect plus, plus, plus. So Pusey's calamine liniment or calamine lotion, it would have to be uh, produced or manufactured by a compounding pharmacist uh, the formulation is well known, but by in, by including that additional component, um, a small percentage, a therapeutic percentage of that substance, a phenol, it contributes towards an anti-itch benefit. I come back to the point that it would need to be discussed with a pharmacist and would have to be procured these days via a compounding pharmacist who should be able to make that up it's worthwhile to try. Mm, yes, definitely. On to a new RFM, it's 11.21, and Ian has rung in from Nelson Bay. Uh, Ian, Ross River fever, that's not a good thing. It's on your mind? It certainly is, Sarah. Um, yes, I was unfortunate to uh, get it uh, middle of October, and uh, I'm hoping Dennis can uh, give me some herbal suggestions. Ian, with this condition for years and years and years and years and years, I have recommended the uh, the taking of uh, the formulation known as Astragalus 8. I, okay. have, I have seen it work so well that I'm sure there are listeners out there and perhaps even sceptics out there that say, oh, there he goes again mentioning Astragalus 8. Well, it's only oh. because I have had such an experience working with this remarkable Asian combination of herbs that I can speak so confidently and enthusiastically about it. If you haven't used the Astragalus 8 formulation, I think you're letting yourself down. It's one of the most useful devices for retrieving the assault on the immune system that has taken place with this wretched, wretched infection. And the good thing about it is you're in Nelson Bay. You should be able to procure that 
either from your health food store or your pharmacist in a tableted form. Um, it is a, certainly a recommendation that I would have no reservations about in referring you to it. And uh, again, I come back to the point that is one of the most frequently prescribed substances that I use for this sort of condition. And I would expect, and indeed I would be disappointed if there wasn't some degree of improvement in your well-being fairly rapidly. Thanks for your call, Ian. All the very best with that. Bob has rung in from Hinton, and you've got a question about Himalayan crystal salt, Bob. Dennis. Hello, Bob. Mate, I've got a stuff here called Himalayan crystal salt, Mm. and uh, I've got a flyer on it somewhere, but I'm just wondering if you know anything about it. Look, I have seen it, um, Bob, and I, I don't want to sound cynical when I say this, but uh, in my opinion, salt is salt, and um, there may be some additional uh, characteristics of this product which see it containing other substances other than sodium chloride. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's not a substance that, that I keep in my practice. It is yeah. popularly used by many of my patients and clients, yeah. But other than that, uh, it's not a substance that I know a lot about. Right. The, the other one is Himalayan rock salt, but this is different. Um, well, again, I come back to the fact and say salt is salt. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I've used, been using this stuff for a while. I used to use the rock salt, but yes. this stuff yes. is... Where can I say? It's not as strong. Okay. Well, that might mean that the concentration of sodium chloride in it might be as great. Oh, right. But, but right I come back right to the point, Bob, that look... Um, it may have some additional uh, mineral characteristics right. um, that give it a, a unique identity. Right, but again, right. if it is just a salt and is marketed for, as, as a salt for common use... No, it's I, not for common use. I would say that it's uh, very strong in sodium chloride, but perhaps with other constituents. Right, right, right. Fair enough. Thanks, Bob. Okay, thank you for your call, Bob. And uh, Robin has rung in from Maryville. Now, sciatica, you'd like to ask Dennis about that? Yes, please. Hello, Robin. What have you done so far for your sciatica? What has your doctor prescribed? All right. I'm taking uh, Lyrica tablets. Yes, well, your sciatica must be pretty grim if your doctor has prescribed Lyrica. Yes, well, okay. I've had it for five months now. That's it a long is time. much better, yes. much better than it was because yes. it was in my knee, etc. Oh, dear, dear. Um, I am doing stretches. I'm walking yes. twice a day. Yes. Um, I'm using some Nurofen. Yes. But even now, I'm sat down. The pain is still there in my lower back. Okay. Look, a couple of little recommendations. It's good that this condition is taking up, as I would expect it to take up, and what your doctor has prescribed is the standard treatment for sciatica, which, as you would appreciate, is a nerve-based condition. Um, Are you using anything topically? Are you applying anything to it? Uh, Neurofen. Okay. Look, and that's a good product, but what we will do, I will send to you from the station, uh, free of charge, some stiff, sore and sorry, which has oh, u- which has useful properties for addressing nerve-based pain. Keep in oh, keep in mind that um, the oleo resin of capsicum, which is one of the ingredients of stiff sore and sorry, has made its fame in dealing with uh, things such as facial neuralgia, or tic or even the pain of, of 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 shingles. So that carries over into other nerve-based painful situations where it might be useful 
to apply topically to augment the good management that your doctor has prescribed. We will send it to you free of charge, so hang on and we will get the details for you. Stay on the line, Robin, and um, we will get your details. And uh, uh, somebody has called in, Dennis, about a herbal tea that you mentioned uh, earlier. Can okay, you remember okay. that? Yes, um, I was going to mention, if it was today, what I was going to mention was the uh, my excitement and enthusiasm um, for a herbal tea based on the leaf of globe artichoke. Now, we've only got a few moments left, but I will give in- listeners some fascinating information about globe artichoke leaf when used as a tea. To start with, it has a plus four rating as a cholesterol uh, supplement. In other words, it's very highly recommended as an agent, which when taken daily in a dose of about six grams a day as a herbal tea, can be shown to be useful, and there are clinical trials supporting what I'm saying in Mosby's book that I mentioned earlier. So globe artichoke, the leaf of it, a simple, inexpensive herbal tea, should be one of those herbal teas, of which I'm very enthusiastic, taken up as a regular daily supplement, an inexpensive daily supplement that must give a significant percentage reduction in one's overall cholesterol level. The literature, if one were to study it, would see globe artichoke leaf as being right up there and I say this strongly as perhaps, perhaps, the single most important herb to be used in addressing cholesterol elevation and helping to reverse it and maybe even to participate in allowing a patient to move away from some of the stronger medications. I'll talk about globo or artichoke more next week. There is so much I want to discuss with listeners, but listeners, take it on board. Globe artichoke leaf as a tea, very bitter, but it has to be bitter to do the job that it's doing. I'll finish up by saying, just as we said earlier in the program, that sugar, the overuse of it, is a menace in our diet because it makes everything sweet. What you have to realise is that the bitterness found in many foods and herbs explains why they're so useful in correcting so many metabolic problems and bitter tasting herbs and food, particularly the globe artichoke, is remarkable because it contains a bitter principle. And if you bypass that principle in more sophisticated preparations, capsules and tablets, there's a good chance that you're not going to get the same benefit as you would get when you take the herb in its simplest, inexpensive form as a herbal tea. And that's Health Naturally for today. Thank you, Dennis Stewart. Good program, Jane. And it was. And we look forward to more next week on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>